All right. Good morning. How are you? I'm not going to ask you that question because he already did that. That'd be redundant. So um, let's open our Bibles. First John chapter two. We're starting in chapter two today and uh, we'll get right into the word. We're going to have communion today as well and celebrate what Jesus has done for us. First John chapter two. We looked last week a little bit of, uh, uh, oops, a little bit of review. We talked about the fact that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So we talked about this idea of confession, and it's a it's a big subject. It's one of the most important things as believers as we follow Jesus. We need to know what that means, and how it happens. What you know, uh, you know. Between us and God, it's something that we need to understand. Jesus, we see the Bible tells us Jesus is our great high priest, and he's the, the mediator between us and God. It's not some other man, not some other person, it's Jesus. And this word confess, I, I really like the definition. It means to say the same thing as. So when we confess, we're agreeing with what God says. And we're admitting it. And it's in the present active tense, which means it's something that we continue to do. It's an ongoing thing that we're agreeing with what God says. And, and he is faithful and just and will forgive us. Psalm 51, Psalm 32. You need to know where those two passages are, where David, uh, he has his uh, prayer of confession and repentance. And then his, his uh, celebration of the fact that he's been forgiven by the almighty God. Something we need to do sometimes with other people. And it brings, James tells us, it brings prayer, it brings healing, it brings restoration, and that's important. So all in all, though, this idea of confessing our sins, I think what we tend to do is we excuse, right? We defend, and we shift blame. That's what we do. And that's kind of like what sin leads us to do. Kind of those two, you know, sin is working against us to confess the sin that we need to confess. But that's what we need to do. We need to confess our sins to God. Just get it right. And as one uh, person said, you know, call it for what it is. So drag it out in the open before God and say, God, have mercy on me. And he says that he is faithful. That's what it says, right? He is faithful and just and he, to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's wonderful, isn't it? That's a great thing. So, so that's all we need to do? Well, it is. It's all we need to do to be forgiven is to bring it before him and ask him to forgive us. But... Does that mean that I can just do whatever and be forgiven? Well, in one sense it is true. No matter what I do, if I bring it to him honestly and sincerely, he will forgive me. But does it matter? I mean, this is kind of the idea, you know, when you, when you understand what he's saying here, is if we confess our sins, he's faithful, just will forgive us our sins, every single one. So, you know... Again, 
the sin nature within us, we, we want to manipulate, we want to kind of work things out to our benefit. Well, if that's true, then, you know, I guess it doesn't really matter. I can just do it because I'll be forgiven later, right? Do you see where I'm going with this thing? Are you, are you tracking with me here? What, what I want to say to you today, and I think that, that the, the scripture bears this out, the passage we're looking at today is that this, it's better not to. But if we do, it's better not to. But if we do, let's look at chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. He says, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice of the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. I think, I think that's what he's saying here. It's better not to. It's absolutely better not to. And, and, and I write these things to you, my dear children, so that you won't. He, John likes to use that term, by the way, that, and it's kind of a term of endearment, right? My dear children, he had this, this heart for them and he cared about them like a, a father and his children. And, and, and he cared about their lives. You know, if, you, if you're a parent, you know it hurts to see your children stumble, doesn't it? It hurts to see them fall and hurt themselves. But he also had this responsibility as a father to, you know, share these things, to tell them these things because they needed to know these things. He says... To them, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. Paul did the same thing. He said in 1 Thessalonians, he says that, you know, he dealt with them as a father deals with his own children, encouraging and comforting and urging them to live lives worthy of God. John says it here, says, I write this so that you will not sin. So he's saying it's better not to. And so I want to ask you the question, why is it better not to? Think about that for a second. Why is it better not to? I have a whole list of things here, and there's probably many more. But if you think about it, it's better not to, to go ahead and sin. Why is it better not? Because you need to know why, if that's what John's saying is is. is for us not to write these things so that you will not. Why? Okay, I'll tell you. I think number one is there's no consequences. You see, sin brings consequences. It, it breaks fellowship. We've been talking about that for the last few weeks. It, it, it affects the people around us. It affects ourselves. It, all kinds of stuff comes out of when we, when we go against what God's law is. It brings consequences. You can't get away from that. And it says in Galatians, you know, whatever a man sows, that's what we'll reap. If you plant bad seeds, guess what comes up? Bad fruit. And so... And, and, and the interesting thing about that verse in Galatians, it says God cannot be mocked. In other words, you know, this is a spiritual principle of the almighty God. And you can't get around it and say, oh, God, this one, you can't get me on this one. How about this? No shame. No shame. No regret. 
No repentance needed. No breaking of the fellowship. These are all very important things, you know, to have, you know, to have these things in our lives. You know, when, when, you know, when we do something that's wrong, you know, then we, have, then we need to repent. But when we don't do it, we don't have to. And it's not a nice thing to repent. It doesn't feel good. It doesn't say, oh, I can't wait till I repent. I can't wait till I do that so then I can repent again. That, that's not what we look forward to. It's like, oh man, I got to repent. And, but I don't want to. I have to humble myself and repent. I don't want to. The shame I'm feeling, I, I hate this. I don't like this. So it's way, way better not to. That's what I'm saying to you. And I think that's what John's telling us here. It's way, way better not to. It's not inevitable that we have to, or it would not be written here, right? The writer of the Hebrews says this, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, that's Jesus, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. In other words, we need to struggle against it. In other words, we need to resist it. We don't just say, oh, I guess it's inevitable. And then I can go, you know, confess it later and I'll be all okay. No, no, that's not, that's not the way to, to go. That's, that's the negative way to go. We want to go the positive route, right? And what, what about Paul? What does he say? No temptation has taken you except what is common to man, common to us all. We all face these kinds of things. But, he says, God is faithful. He will not let you tempted beyond what you can bear. He's not going to give you more than you can bear. And then, and then this next sentence says, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure. He, he provides a way of escape. If we'll look for it, I'm not going to look for that way of escape. I don't want to. I just want to keep going down this path and I'm going to face the consequences and the shame and the regret and, and have to repent and go through all that stuff because I'm not willing to look for the way out. But the word of God tells us, it's a promise, that the, the way of escape is there if we'll take it. He doesn't force us to take it. Jesus said to the one that he healed in John chapter 5, he said this, stop sinning. And he says, or something worse may happen to you. you. You could get into some bad circumstances and consequences. What about the woman caught in adultery? He, he said to her, there wasn't, you know, all the ones that were going to condemn her, they all went away once he started pointing to them and, you know, what they, you know, had in their own lives and hearts. And Jesus said to her, he said, neither do I condemn you. He's not going to condemn her for what she had done. But then he went on to say, go and what? Sin no more. He didn't say go and, and you'll, I'll forgive you again and again and again, which he will. But he told her, go and sin no more. Why? Because he knew what she would face. He knew the consequences. He knew all the stuff that, that was going on in her life. So, you know, it, it, it's better not to. It's way, way better not to. And when we're at those, you know, junction points, when we have to decide, am I going to go this path? Am I going to do this? Am I going to follow this? Or, or am I going to, you know, 
you know, ask God to help me to do the right thing here. We're at that place. We need to ask God for help. The other uh, kind of side of this, too, is that, you know, well, because God can forgive anything and he will forgive anything and, and, and everything, it just makes his grace so much bigger. Because it just shows how big his grace is. And his grace is very big, by the way. But what did Paul say? He said, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Just show everybody how big grace is because I'm just going to sin it up. I feel like I'm preaching today. Wow. I want you to turn back with me to Romans chapter 6 because Paul talks a lot about this and it's so important because we, again, this is something we all face. I just read to you what Paul said in 1 Corinthians. You know, nothing that you're facing is, you know, unusual. It's common to man. It's, we all face these trials and troubles and struggles. But Romans chapter 6 in verse 11, he's talking about this thing, the whole chapter. I just told you verse 1. He says, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God. In Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. And he says it again in verse 15, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. God forbid, some versions say. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Paul's telling us, you know, go a different way. Don't, don't let sin be our masters, because that's what happens. We, get, we go down this path, and it becomes to control us. It's the master now. Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says, In your anger, what? Do not sin. He says, Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And, get this, do not give the devil a foothold. Think about here where we are, devil's foot road, right? We're not going to give the devil a foothold. I've yet to go and find that rock, that big rock out there. Anybody seen that rock? It's out there somewhere. So what? But he says, don't. Let the sun go down while you are still angry. You know what? I have a confession to make. I'll confess. I got upset and I let the sun go down on my wrath, on my anger. This week. You want to know all the details? No. I said you got to, you know, you got to be sensitive who you confess things to. This is like going out to the whole world now because, you know, our our audience is like 500,000, I think. But you know what? Did it feel good? 
No, then I had to repent. Then I had to apologize. Then I had to, you know, uh, get very little sleep. Then I had, you know, all this stuff, you see. To do it God's way is way better than to do it our way. Now, he provides the answer. He provides the forgiveness. And we get through those things. I get all that. But, you know, we're given a devil a foothold when we decide to do it our way. We are. Peter said, you spend enough time in the past doing the things what unbelievers choose to do. We spend enough time doing that stuff. We don't need to, to, to follow along with all the world, do we? It's better not to. I could just stop there, but, but you know what? Pastor Chuck said, and I, I skipped over the quote, but, but let me uh, read it again. He says, the divine ideal but none has attained it of not sinning. He says, but that doesn't mean we just give up. In other words, in other words he's saying, yeah, we, we will face these things and we're not going to be perfect about it, but we don't just say, well, because I'm not going to be perfect, I'll just go ahead and do it and I'll get forgiven later. But, but, but we, this is the truth. We're human, Right? And that's no justification. That's no excuse. So I'm, I'm human, so I'm just going to do it. I'm going to go there. I'm going I'm to let that, whatever it is, happen. Is this hitting home for anyone by any chance? Any of you ever face sin situations in this world and, and the, the, the pull of this world, the pull of your own flesh, the enemies trying to get you to go down this path, that path, or the other path? Or am I the only one? He says, back in 1 John, he says, but if anybody does sin, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. This is my heart for you as children. He says, but if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. If anybody does sin, now that's you and me. That's you and me. Psalm 103, this kind of uh, ties into it. And I I think it goes along with what John has said, what Paul has said. And and the psalmist says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has has compassion on those who fear him. See, he understands. Because the very next verse, this is what he says, for he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. You see, he has, a, he has compassion for us. And, 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 you know, it's way better not to. And he, he prefers us not to. And, and, but, but he remembers, he knows, he understands our weakness. He remembers that we're just dust. And as the father has compassion on his children, you know, we, you know, we don't like it when our children stumble and fall, but, you know, our hearts go out to them as, at the same time, does it not? Makes me think, you know, we, you, know you, you have your kid on a, on a basketball team or a baseball team or whatever, and, and you know that their team is just not any good. But you know what? Your heart goes out to the, every play. Your heart goes out to that team because they're yours. They're your kids. 
I remember that, watching our kids play. You know, I was like, I'm just like getting all worked up about this. And, and maybe they're not winning. Maybe they are. But because they're mine. And that's the way God says, you know, I have a heart for you. My compassion for you is, is so powerful. It's so strong. And he removes our transgressions as far as the east is from the west. That's how far he removes them from us because he has compassion on us. He knows what you and I are like. Notice he says we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Again, I love that. And someone pointed this out that he, he, he brings it up again. He speaks to the Father in our defense. In other words, he's still our father, even when we blow it, even when we fall, even when we stumble. He's still our father. And it's like our, you know, our, our family relationships as well. Our, our children blow it. You know, we're still their parent. We're st- we still love them. But notice he says, we have one who speaks to the father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. You know, if you commit a crime and you get caught, right? Any of you ever committed crimes? No, just me. You commit a crime and you get caught, what, what do you need? You need a good lawyer, right? You need a, a great lawyer, why? So that you can get out of it. So that you, you can lessen the charges, lessen the consequences, to try to make things go better for you. You need a really, really good lawyer, right? So who do you call? The heavy hitter. Right? Yeah. Oh, boy. He's talking here about an advocate, and it is definitely it's a lawyer type situation, one who represents, uh, one who pleads our case, one who is in court on behalf of the defendant, and that's what he's saying. We have one who is there; he's representing us, and he says it's Jesus Christ. It's not some heavy hitter; it's Jesus Himself who's representing us in this court, the court of God. Romans chapter eight: Jesus who died. Who, who was raised to life. He is at the right hand of God and he's also interceding for us. He's, he's pleading, he's interceding for you and for me. He's there always. Hebrews says he's, he's a permanent priesthood he has. And he's, he's able to save completely those who come to God through him and he, and he always lives to, to intercede for them. He's always there interceding for you and for me. Jesus, the righteous one, the one who had no sin. You see, he didn't have to intercede for himself. He didn't have to, to, to defend himself. He had no sin, never did any sin. But Jesus there, interceding for you and for me, standing up in our defense. He's standing up for you in your defense. That's, that's something I think we don't think much about, that Jesus is there to defend me before the throne of God, before the court of heaven. That's radical. That's radical that Jesus is my defense attorney, my advocate. But it doesn't just stop there, does it? Look at verse 2, what it says. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He is the, the one who turns aside God's wrath. He takes it and turns it aside. How? How did he do that? 
by his own death, his own sacrifice. He is the atoning sacrifice. He didn't, you know, give something up. He gave his very life. He died to take the place that, that you and I should have taken. The wages of sin is death, and so he died. One writer wrote this, that God's holiness demands punishment for man's sin. God, therefore, out of love, he sent his son to make substitutionary atonement. In other words, he took our place. And in this way, the Father's wrath is propitiated. That's this word propitiated. It means, it means satisfied. It's appeased. So this is kind of radical. You know, John says it later in chapter 4. This is what love is. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. The Father sent his Son as this atoning sacrifice, this propitiation. So we have the picture of God the Father here. We have Jesus the Son who is functioning as our lawyer, right? God sent his son to be our lawyer. Now, you know, these things all kind of tie together. We have God, he's, he's the judge. The father is the judge. The, his own son is the lawyer. But now we see here that this lawyer that we have also paid the penalty that was required by the father, the God, God who is the judge. He paid it. Himself, He paid it with his own life. Now, how often does that happen where your lawyer actually pays anything for you? You have to pay them, right? And they get like 50%. Is that about right? Something like that? It's insane. But Jesus, he... Paid the penalty that you and I owed himself. He paid it with his own life. And that's, that's what we have to understand. That, 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 that's what he did. And as we take communion here in just a, a couple of minutes, that's what we want to remember. He paid the penalty. He paid my penalty for all my sin. Past, present, and future. Not only for ours, he finishes this verse and he says not only for ours, but, but also for the sins of what? The whole world. The whole world. So it's universal. Uh, John, when he, you know, John the Baptist, he saw Jesus, he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the whole world. So the, the scope of what Jesus Christ did is certainly universal. Right? But does that mean that everybody is saved? It's not universally applied. We... Apply it to ourselves by trusting in him and receiving him, by, by believing by faith. That's how it is applied to each one of us, you see. You all know that. It's open and available to all. It's, it's there for all. It's not this limited thing where, you know, only a certain people is available to. I think it's, it's open and available to all. Jesus is called the Savior of what? The world. Not the Savior of the few. One last quote before we pray. Pastor Chuck, he said this, In the death of Christ, pardon for every sin of every man in all of history took place. Every sin of every man in all of history, except that of rejecting his son. That's the only sin that keeps us out. 
rejecting Jesus Christ. So back to the beginning, it's better not to. John says, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But, But if we do, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And he is the atoning sacrifice, the propitiation, the satisfaction for our sins. Not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, it was because you loved us that you sent your Son. You knew, you knew what the requirements would be. And you sent your only Son to fulfill those requirements. And so now we come, we, we, want, to, we want to celebrate communion, we want to partake and And remember the cross. Remember what you did for us, Jesus. What you did for me, that you died for me. You took my place. And as we come before you, uh, Father, all all we can plead is Jesus. We're sinners. We we, we blow it. We we have, we, we do, we will. But the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin forgives us of all sin. And so we come to remember this cross where Jesus, you willingly went and and you, and, and you gave your life willingly for us that we could have life, eternal life, abundant life, real life, true life. Father, I pray here today as we, as we take a few minutes uh, to, to just talk to you and, and spend time uh, with you before we partake, uh, I pray that uh, we would just remember what you've done. Maybe there's something we need to confess right now before we even partake. Maybe there's just an attitude. Maybe there's a, a, an action, a, a sins of thought, a sins of things that we haven't done, things we have done, that we need to just bring them out and drag them out and, and, and let you deal with them and, and look to you for that forgiveness because of what Jesus did. Pray, Lord, for each person here that we, that we would truly know that you are not just the Savior of the world, but you are my Savior. You saved me. And so we're going to just take a couple minutes and just be quiet before the Lord, before God, before what He wants to speak into our lives and hearts. Maybe He's already been talking to you about something. I don't know. Maybe one thing that you can walk away with. But I want you to know he's here. He loves you. He forgives you. He cleanses you. He prefers you not to. It's better not to, but but he's always here. And he's always interceding, always defending, always standing up for you. So just take a few minutes. and, And then when you are ready. Uh, The communion is on the back table. 
You can go back there and, and get it and come back to your seat and partake with, with uh, between you and God. Because ultimately that's what it gets down to. Sometimes we partake together and sometimes we take on our own. So today it's between you and God. So let's take a few minutes and do that.